Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. We're looking forward to the study tonight. We're closing out the book of Isaiah. Uh, we've been going line upon line. We're up to chapter 36 and 37 this evening. God willing, we'll cover those uh, two chapters. I don't know if we'll get through all of uh, chapter 37. We'll see how far we can get. But I do anticipate that, God willing, uh, we will finish this book next week. Uh, that's quite amazing. Isaiah is a, a tall order. It's a big book. Uh, we covered first Isaiah earlier, and uh, this or second Isaiah earlier, and this will bring the end of first Isaiah, and we'll have the entire book of Isaiah covered. Hopefully, uh, you have found the study beneficial. Um, what we, in terms of the overall structure, uh, what we were looking at in the first part of Isaiah, of uh, first Isaiah. When we were uh, chapters one to six, we really had these uh, oracles on, and judgment on uh, the rebellious house of Israel and specifically Judah, but also at the same time, this glorious vision of Zion and Jerusalem and Judah uh, in the day of the Lord. Uh, so, so there's that reconciling these two things where these people are cursed and yet they're, they're phenomenally blessed. And so that was very clear and that section ended with Isaiah's calling. Uh, which really made it clear the curse upon Judah uh, that they'd be blind and deaf until the uh, abomination that makes desolate. In, in chapter 7, then, we see this looming crisis from the north, the, the king of Assyria, and uh, uh, the king Ahaz having to make a decision. Will he rely upon the Lord and follow the prophet's uh, advice, or will he rely upon men and trust in men? And unfortunately, King Ahaz trusts in men. We then saw a series of woes and curses upon the, the Gentile nations. In this section now, we're really seeing the lived out faith of this King uh, Hezekiah. And basically, we're, we're seeing all of Isaiah's prophecies now resulting in action that is very different from the King Ahaz, his father. We're seeing how King Hezekiah will respond to these prophecies. So we'll do that this week and, and finish up, God willing, next week. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you praising you, thanking you, God, that you've put it in our hearts to want to understand your word, to want to walk closely with our Lord and our Savior, Yeshua. We thank you so much, God, for his love and his mercy. And we thank you, God, for your wisdom and your counsel and your plan, which no man can frustrate. And we thank you, God, that you hide us under the shadow of your wings, especially in this time of great controversy, chaos, and confusion. Uh, we pray, Father, that we can be increasingly bright lights in this increasingly dark world. Thank you for the prophet Isaiah. Thank you for his faithfulness. We pray, Father, that we can be inspired by his word. Uh, we pray that we can understand the prophecies, that in the, 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 the script that you gave to him, and that it would inform our decisions, and that we would be more faithful and have a deeper conviction. We thank you, God, for each other, and pray that you'll bless us all as we seek to please you, Lord. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So let me go ahead and share my screen. 
and then we'll get into Isaiah here. There we go. Okay. So, in fact, let me just stop there for a second. That's not what I want to do. Let me do it a different way. There we go. Okay, so hopefully you can see my screen here. And we'll begin in uh, chapter 36 and verse 1. Just give me a second to organize my monitors. This over here, and I want this here. And let's uh, do this here. Okay. So this says now, uh, it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Ezekiahu, which means the, the strength of the Lord, that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. This man, this king means business. This is a totalitarian, ruthless ruler. Uh, you only had to hear the king of Assyria was coming and that would just send whole cities into a state of panic. Uh, so he came up against the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachesh to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So notice the location, because I think Isaiah is doing something very uh, clever here, is he the wording that this uh, envoy, Rabshakeh, the Rabshakeh, which means the, the, the chief, he's sort of the head, he's right under the king, he's the very high official, he comes and he stands in the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Rewind back to chapter 7, when King Ahaz had the same uh, position, he was in the same position, there was this Assyrian threat that was uh, invading the north and was threatening to come down to the south, and, and King Ahaz was panicking over the Assyrian invasion. And here in chapter 7, verse 3, we had studied this earlier. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So I think Isaiah is making it very clear by location. These two kings are facing the exact same decision. And this is sort of the underlying theme of the prophecy of Isaiah. Who will you trust? Will you trust God? Will you rely on God? Or will you rely on men? And, and chapter 7 is in the archive, but in a nutshell, King Ahaz chose to rely on men and, and, and not want to put God to the test. He was too righteous to do that. He really wanted to um, side with Assyria. Uh, and uh, actually, this, this was a time he was looking at, um, as well, the, the, Syri the Syrian and the uh, Ephraimites wanting to attack him. So, so he chose to, to uh, rely on men. And in 2 Kings, this Rabshakeh, we just see how, how powerful he is. In 2 Kings 18 and 19 sort of gives more detail uh, and as a parallel to Isaiah. He says here in 2 Kings 18, 17, the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah 
with a great host against Jerusalem. So he's coming with a huge army uh, ready to take Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. So this is quite a threat. And uh, uh, and Hezekiah would understand what this, the implications of this. Going on to uh, verse 3. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house. So this is also very important wording, uh, that Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, was over the house. That's a very high position. And Shebna the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. This is important wording because earlier in chapter 22, there was a prophecy against Shebna. It says here, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go, get you unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, which is over the house. So in chapter 22, at this time, Shebna is over the house. In chapter 36, he's no longer over the house. Now Eliakim is over the house. He says, And say, What have you here, and whom have you here, that you have hewed you out a, a sepulchre here, as he that hews him out of a sepulchre on high, and that graves a habitation for himself in a rock. And all of this is in the archive, the explanation of this. Behold, the Lord will carry you away with a mighty captivity and and will surely cover you, and he will surely violently turn and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there the chariots of your glory shall be the shame of your Lord's house. And I will drive you from your station, from your office. And from your state shall he pull you down, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, son the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and strengthen him with your girdle. And I will commit your government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah." So clearly we're seeing now Eliakim is in the office that Shebna used to be in. We don't know if this is the same Shebna and he's been demoted or if in fact the previous Shebna was killed. Going back to, but but clearly this Eliakim is in this office. And I want to just spend a bit of time on this because we have one of these churches of God who claims that Herbert Armstrong is Eliakim. And, and they just have all these sort of personal interpretations of all of this. And if we just keep reading the Bible, the Bible interprets itself, and it makes it clear who Eliakim is and, and how Eliakim would, f- be fu- would fulfill this prophecy and be over the house, over Jerusalem. Continuing in verse 4, and the Rabshakeh, this is more of a title, uh, this chief, this captain or chief over the, the, the army, said unto him, Say you now, said unto them, sorry, these, these three officials, Say you now unto Hezekiah, so there, send this message to the king. Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein you trust? Why are you resisting us? This is really the the question that he's asking. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, We're coming to just completely destroy everything. Why don't you just give up? What confidence is this wherein you trust? We're, we're, we're confused here. This is curious to us. I say, this is what you say, but they are vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now, on whom do you trust that you rebel against the king of Assyria? Lo, you trust in the staff 
of this broken reed on Egypt. So, so he, the king of Assyria is coming down from the north. Jerusalem is looking to Egypt as, as a, a, an ally to resist Assyria. And the Reb Sheka is warning the king, this is a false hope. He says, we're on, if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all that trust in him. So this would be like today, if uh, somebody was to invade Jerusalem today, and Jerusalem was to resist, and they were to ask, like, uh, let's say the Turkey, the Assyrians today, uh, why are you resisting us? Are you trusting America? Well, America is like a man that if he were to, is like a broken reed, where if he were to lean on it, it would go into his hand and pierce it. In other words, America cannot be trusted. America is a treacherous ally. Look what, look what they did to Afghanistan. So you're going to trust in a, such a treacherous ally? Uh, that, that would be the equivalent here that Egypt has been, the, the king of Pharaoh, uh, Egypt, Pharaoh, has, has obviously uh, demonstrated his, his uh, lack of, tr- his, um, yeah, lack of trustworthiness. Uh, so Assyria's warning Jerusalem, warning Hezekiah, uh, I wouldn't trust in Egypt if I were you, which in fact is what Isaiah, uh, that's a, that was Isaiah's prophecy, that you cannot trust in Egypt. Woe to those who trust in Egypt. So this would have rang true to those who had heard the prophesying of Isaiah. But if you say to me, so, okay, so you're trusting in Egypt, but in addition to that, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? So you guys are saying you, you, tr- you want to say you trust in God, but the, the, these Assyrians don't understand when Hezekiah came into office, he tore down all of these idolatrous altars. But from the Assyrian perspective, this is their religion. Like, how can you tear down your altars? So you're trusting in your God, but this king has torn down all these places of worship, thinking that they're places of worship for Jehovah, and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. So exclusively the worship needs to take place in Jerusalem. And uh, he's saying, like, isn't that, a, you've actually weakened your God, because instead of having all these places of worship, now you only have one. This is, again, the Assyrian perspective. Now, therefore, give pledges, I pray you, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you be able, on your part, to set riders upon them. So this, this is just showing how, how powerful this king is, that horse, think of horses in this time as a great innovation in warfare, uh, that, that, you know, those um, armies that have a cal- cavalry uh, would be extremely powerful and able to move with swift speed. And you need horsemen who can really ride these horses uh, effectively. But the king is so confident, the king of Assyria is so confident, and, and Judah is just nothing, that he'll even give him, uh, give Judah 2,000 horses, as long as they can have, find the men to ride on them. But that would, that would pose no threat to Assyria. That's how powerful Assyria is. How then will you turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? So even one captain of the least 
of Assyria's servants could overrun Jerusalem. Uh, and yet, you're still trusting in Egypt and, and their horsemen. Uh, like You need to understand how powerful uh, Assyria is. And am I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? So this is an interesting threat here. Uh, now he's saying, I'm actually authorized by your God to destroy you. <laughs> so this is fascinating because this is exactly what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that Assyria is the rod of God's anger. And, and without even knowing the prophecy, uh, the Rabshakeh is actually saying what the prophecy says, that I, I'm coming with the authorization of your God to destroy you. The Lord said unto me, go up against this land and destroy it. So I don't know where he, he got this from. Maybe he got wind of the prophecy, but he's saying, I'm author you're, you're going to depend on your God. I'm authorized by your God to destroy you. You're going to depend on Egypt. Egypt will betray you. Why don't you just tell the king to just give up? Then said Eliakim and Shebna and Joah unto Rabshakeh. So now they interrupt him because he's saying, God told me to destroy you. So when he says that, they interrupt him and they beg him, we pray you unto your, uh, speak unto us in Aramaic, which was the Syrian language. Speak, can you speak Aramaic? For we understand it. And speak not to us in Hebrew, in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Like, could you do us a favor? Let's just use the, the uh, lingua franca of the day. It would be, again, as if um, the threat, if somebody was threatening Judah today, and they're speaking in Hebrew so that everyone else who's there on the wall listening can understand exactly what the threat is. And then they say, look, we all understand English here. And since English is the language of diplomacy, uh, the lingua franca, can we switch to English? And then the people, we know these people don't understand English, so we can keep this to ourselves. Rebshekah, but Rebshekah said, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men that sit upon the wall? So I'm going to continue to speak in Hebrew because this message is not just for Hezekiah. It's not just for you. It's for everybody. So I'll, I'll, and, and this also actually speaks to how thorough Assyria was, that this little country called Judah, they took the time to train somebody in that language. So whichever nation they were going to destroy, they could actually communicate in the, in the native language. So this, this high official, Reb Sheka, actually spoke Hebrew. And he's saying, like, hey, I'm sent, and I've learned Hebrew, so that I can not only speak to you and to your master, but I can speak to all these men, and I have a message for them. Has he not sent me to the men that sit upon the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? So if, you, if they're listening to this... And they're hearing this powerful nation. You know, today it would be, you know, uh, look at China. And look at the military might that they're amassing. And, and moving into little Taiwan. And threatening Taiwan, but speaking in Taiwanese so that everybody there can hear what this powerful military force is planning to do. It, it's going to demoralize them. Then Rabshakeh stood, and it's really fascinating that he really drives the point home in Hebrew, you know, knowing that 
it's a sensitive point. They don't want him to speak this in Hebrew. They want him to speak in Aramaic. He says this, this intense warning in Hebrew. Then Reb Sheka stood and cried with a loud voice. Now he's even intensifying it. He's making sure that everybody hears. He cries with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. And again, he, he's not understanding the true God. He, he thinks that it's Hezekiah that, that, that's going to provide this deliverance, and it just doesn't make any sense. Give up now. This is this little tiny nation that has no power against Assyria. Don't be deceived. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. So even if he tells you about God, don't even go there. Neither let you make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. So he obviously has some familiarity with the teachings of, of the Hebrews. And he's saying, don't be deceived by that either. This city shall not be delivered, saying this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And, and the, the, the sense here is he must have done his research and must have been somewhat familiar with Isaiah's prophecies to say that, you know, the, the Lord has authorized me to destroy you. And to say that, oh, don't believe uh, Hezekiah telling you that this city shall not be delivered. Clearly, he's got some intelligence of, as to what the Hebrews believe. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by a present. So bring your gift and, and let's make an, an alliance and come out to me. So now he's calling the people out from under Hezekiah, uh, just directly make an alliance with the king of Assyria and come out to me and eat you every one of his vine and every one of his fig tree and drink you every one waters of his own cistern. And again, language that the Hebrews would be familiar with, again, indicating good intelligence as to what the Hebrews believe. And instead of, you know, God providing these things for you, uh, rely on the king of Assyria and you can have this. You, you can actually enjoy your freedom in this way until, he says, you can have these things until I come and take you away. Because that's that was the Assyrian foreign policy, uh, was to take the, whenever they captured a land, to take the people out of the land and spread them all over the place uh, so that they would be weakened, they would lose their culture, lose their identity. So the, no doubt uh, Judah would be the same. But he's saying, initially, I'll let you stay in your land. And, and you can have, you can enjoy, go back to your homes and just enjoy yourselves for a little while until I come and take you away, because that's what I'm going to do. But it's not so bad as you think, he says, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyard. So you will be dispersed, but don't worry. The land that I take you to, it'll be like the land that you're in now. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Be careful. The king of Assyria means business, and you can either cooperate with the king, and it will go well, or, or not, and uh, it's not going to go so well for you if, you, if you want to believe what Hezekiah is saying. Have any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So this is just a little history lesson. If we were alive at this time and we just see over the decades this powerful nation 
just expanding its 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 influence and being irresistible. No, every nation that they've gone against, they've destroyed. And so let's just have a little history lesson here. Have any of the gods of the nations been able to deliver their that that land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? And you know, probably these are very powerful nations that are now have been conquered. Where are the gods of Sephar Vaim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? And that is a really interesting question. So he's saying, have any of the gods of the nations been able to deliver these nations out of the king of Assyria's hands? And he doesn't say, has Jehovah delivered Samaria? As far as, they're, as, far as the Assyrians are concerned, when they con conquered Samaria, all they saw was idolatry. So the same gods that all these other nations were worshiping, those gods couldn't protect those nations. And you know what? These are the same gods that Samaria was worshiping, and, and the gods couldn't deliver Samaria either, even though the Samaritans probably believed that they were being faithful to Jehovah. But they were worshiping him and worshiping the idols as well. Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their land out of my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. So they're very clear Jerusalem, because of Hezekiah's influence, is very focused on Jehovah. So they know that this is the God of Jerusalem. But they're saying, like, Jer Jerusalem will be no exception. Every land has folded before the king of Assyria. But these men, these three uh, envoys, they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, saying, Answer him not. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. So they, they understood exactly where this was going. And, and these would have been wearing beautiful clothing because of their high offices. They're in such a state, they just completely tear the clothes to, to demonstrate the anguish that they, have, that they are experiencing. And they told him the words of the Rabshakeh. And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes. So this, this is a real, real threat. They are, this is existential. This is going to wipe them out that he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. So this is his response now, is to turn to Jehovah. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz. So this is what Isaiah was warning all the time that this was going to happen. And now, in an acknowledgement of Isaiah's prophecies, they're clothed with sackcloth. They understand it, this is an imminent existential threat. And they said unto him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. So this is a, a bit of a proverb that basically says, the trouble is beyond our capability to deal with it. 
it may be the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, the, the blasphemous words of Rabshakeh, the words against Jehovah. So he's saying to, uh, sending this message to Isaiah, it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord your God has heard. Wherefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So this is a, a quite a savvy king, spiritually, uh, very different from his father. And he acknowledges that this is a matter for God to solve, that they, they, there's nothing they can do, uh, that, and there's nobody they can turn to except God. And because this is God's name that is being blasphemed, He's turning to the prophet and saying, I need you to pray for us. <clears throat> for those of us who are left, that obviously I, uh, the king of Assyria has already started his conquest. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master. Thus says Jehovah, Be not afraid of the words that you have heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And, and we just have to rewind now because there's this sort of uh, uh, contrast between Hezekiah's response and the king Ahaz. In chapter 7, verse 4, Isaiah says, or God says to Isaiah, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. The same thing to King Ahaz, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. So when King Ahaz was facing his jeopardy with between Syria and Ephraim, the, the, same message, the message was the same, don't be afraid. Instead, King Ahaz turned to Assyria as an ally because he was afraid of men and thought he would trust in men. But it was the same message, don't be afraid. And now the ally that he turned to is now his now this existential threat. Again, it's kind of like today where America, Russia, 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 existential, existential threat, Cold War, and then they ally themselves with communist China and, and support communist China. Now communist China has become an existential threat, relying on men. But if you say to me, verse 7, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And this is back to the uh, Reb Shekha, and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. Sorry, I just got, I just got mixed up in my um, verses here. Did I cover 36? Somehow I jumped to 37. So I just got, I just got a little uh, ahead of myself here, covering chapter 37. I don't know why I did that. So we'll come back to 37. So we've got, we got a little bit ahead of the story. But let's just go back to 36 so we do make sure we cover this. Maybe you can just check for me. I think I did get up to 36.6. Oh, I'm all over the place. Something's wrong here. We did do this, 36. 
Okay, so we got up to 36, 17, 18. Okay, we did do 36. And now we're in 37. Why did we go back to 36? Give me a second here just to work this out. 37, 6. Uh, I see. This should be 37, 7. Okay, so we'll fix that. 37, 7. Okay. Just pardon me for a second. We got up to Isaiah. Why did I do this? Got 37. We got 37, 6. And then I went to Isaiah 7. Right. I see. So this should be 37. Sorry about that, brethren. Just uh, a small typo, and that changed everything. So let us go back here to Isaiah 37.7. So now God is responding. In fact, let me just go back one to verse 6. So Isaiah said unto them, apologize for that. It's just a small typo. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus says Jehovah, be not afraid of the words that you have heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And so it now the same decision that Ahaz had to make, do I fear men or do I fear God? Uh, this is the same decision Hezekiah has to make. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So this is unprecedented. How could the king of Assyria be defeated, especially by a small nation like Judah, uh, and particularly the small Jerusalem? And yet God is saying, I will protect you. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And he heard say concerning Teherka, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make war with you, and when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. And so these different kings, then now it's right now Sennacherib, but all of them, uh, these powerful, mighty kings have been ruthless, destroying all these lands utterly. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezaf and the children of Eden, which were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah, again, his response is so different than Ahaz, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So these are real words of blasphemy. And he takes this to God. It's, it's almost like the, the same way King David, when he looked at the situation with the, the Philistines, that th this is a God-level issue. And so David could trust that God is going to act against this blasphemy. Hezekiah has the same response. God, God must respond to this blasphemy. He says, 
And in fact, it's for us, the Matthew 24, Christ says, we will be hated by all nations for his name's sake. There's going to be blasphemy against his name. And we who understand the true gospel are going to stand up for his name, relying on God to put the Gentiles in their place because they are blaspheming against his name. He says, he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto Jehovah, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of armies, God of Israel that dwells between the cherubim, you are the God, even you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. That is quite some understanding in this time, because in this time it was all about the gods of local gods of the lands. So, so gods, you know, if you, if you crossed over the barrier, the God didn't have jurisdiction over that land. Whereas Hezekiah understands God, Jehovah, is the God of Israel, and he's the God of all the kingdoms of the earth that made heaven and earth. This is the true creator. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear me. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, and Hezekiah is acknowledging this, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries. This, this is a historical fact. This is true. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. And that goes for Samaria as well in the north. They were relying on these gods as well. So this is profound understanding. This, is, this man, this, this man Hezekiah, this king, is quite advanced in his spiritual understanding. So this is, this is quite encouraging how he responds so differently uh, from his father. He cast their gods into the fire, for there were no gods but the work of men's hands wood and stone. Therefore they have, therefore the Assyrians destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, even you only. This is, this is really profound. And this is ultimately, as we read the book of Revelation, this is the same thing. The Antichrist is going to flex his muscles, political muscle, uh, he's going to blaspheme, and God is going to make the whole earth know that he and he alone is the Lord. He's the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. Then Isaiah, so this is Hezekiah's prayer, then Isaiah, the son of Amaz, sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Whereas you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you and laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head at you. This is, this is the prophecy, that Jerusalem, Zion, laughs in the face of this powerful force of Assyria. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you exalted your voice? And lifted up your eyes on high. And again, we know the Antichrist 
well, wants to be exalted. Satan wants to be exalted through the Antichrist. Whom have you exalted your voice? Against whom? And lifted up your eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By your servants have you reproached the Lord and have said, by the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the height of his border and the forest of his Carmel. I have dug and drunk water, this is what he's saying, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago, so this is actually God speaking now, hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass, that you should be to lay waste defense cities in ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power, they were dismayed and confounded, they were as the grass of the field, and as the green herb, and as the grass on the housetops, and as the corn blasted before I, it, it be grown up. But I know your abode, and you're going out, and you're coming in, and your rage against me. So God is just saying, I am in complete control here. Because your rage against me and your tumult has come up into my ears, therefore will I put my hook in your nose. As powerful as this king is, this is the message back to him. You're nothing against the God of Israel. Therefore, will I put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way by which you came. And this shall be a sign unto you. So now this is a sign unto Judah, speaking to Hezekiah. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year, that which springs of the same. So you're, you're besieged, you're unable to do this, but there's still vegetation. You'll be able to eat that. Next year, same thing. And in the third year, you'll be able to sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. So that's what God is. That's the sign that God is giving. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. This nation of Judah, because they're the covenant people, they cannot be destroyed. And that is the lesson for mankind. And so we're seeing this anti-Semitism rising up again around the world, even though we said never again. We're seeing this increasing anti-Semitism. And the world is really siding now with the Islamic forces, the Palestinian forces. And there's going to be this army surrounding Jerusalem to remove the Jews. But just as it was anciently, the covenant people cannot be eliminated. God says that he has to cut these days short uh, for the elect's sake. Because if he didn't, no flesh would be saved alive, meaning none of the covenant people would be alive. That these armies would be so thorough, this Assyrian-led force would be so thorough that all of the elect would be destroyed. But for the elect's sake, the covenant people, God is going to cut this short and Satan will not have his way. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. So God has a zeal. God has a zeal. He's very enthusiastic. He's committed to, to pulling this off, and he's going to do it. 
And this clearly has a, a dual application. There's, there's an immediate application of this in, in Hezekiah's day, but there's also a, a complete fulfillment of this during the time of the Antichrist. Uh, Micah calls, calls him the Assyrian. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. Quite something that as powerful as this king is and as powerful as his armies are and as skilled as they are in warfare, Jerusalem, you have nothing to worry about. He, he will not step foot into this city. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I personally will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And this is something that, again, we have to understand this in the end time. What is the zeal of the Lord? Where is his focus today? What is he doing on the earth? And he says, I will defend this city for my own sake. And, and uh, Christ warns us we're going to be hated by the whole world for his name's sake. So there's an understanding that we're going to have that no one else shares, only those who understand what God is doing. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and struck in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand men, a hundred and eighty-five thousand men slaughtered. This was a powerful army, but the angel of the Lord went and did this. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, fled and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And Nineveh, of course, was, was uh, founded by Asher, by the Assyrians. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sharezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. His own sons killed him. And they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. So that takes us up to the end of chapter 37. God willing, next week we will cover chapters 38 and 39, and that then will bring our study of First Isaiah to a conclusion. And then, God willing, uh, Pastor Murray and I will be available for a live Q&A for anything that you want to talk about or, or for us to dig into deeper uh, as we've gone through this book of Isaiah together. So this is just a straight narrative now that we're reading, but we're seeing all of uh, Isaiah's teachings, they clearly rubbed off on King Hezekiah. He grew up hearing these, these uh, prophecies and this, this ministry of this prophet Isaiah. It clearly has, it, it, it had an effect. Sometimes, you know, we who are preaching, we think that nobody's listening, uh, but, but God's word is powerful. And, and it is having an effect. And so we have to just continue to preach this word. Uh, the, these same prophecies of, of Isaiah, people are listening to them. And so let's, let's get this word out there because it does have an effect. The word of God is extremely effectual. So brethren, 
I pray that you've been blessed by this study, and God willing, uh, we will be together next week to, to conclude this wonderful book of Isaiah. God bless.